0: Sal Mercogliano is the chair of the Department of History, Criminal Justice and Political Science at Campbell University in North Carolina. He is a former merchant mariner and the author of Fourth Arm of Defense, sea lift and military logistics during the Vietnam War. Sal is a frequent contributor to G-Captain and other maritime outlets. Lastly, he is also the brilliant host of What's Going On With Shipping on YouTube the popular maritime show that breaks down global shipping in an exciting and informative way. All opinions expressed by Christophe Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Bin. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christophe Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. Many people work with the oceans from a land perspective but have never been out in operations. Can you talk a bit about the experience you get or the lessons you learn when you are actually in the oceans and actually have a work outside? Because that seems like That's hard to teach, it seems like, because you sort of have to been there, experienced it to truly understand how it works
1: yeah it's you know it's very two different separate worlds and it's really interesting because because the shipboard versus the uh the seaboard life is a lot different and to tell you the truth the shipboard is much more focused on the daily operation it's it's getting the ship from point a to point b it's the offloading loading and it's very immediate you know and and so that focus is really utilitarian you're working the ship you're doing you know keeping the maintenance up you're able to get it but in truth almost everything happens on shore side all the planning all all the preparations, you know, you don't pull into a a port to load without having everything figured out before you arrive. There's such a huge shoreside infrastructure that goes into the vessels. And, you know, in the past, it's been very separate because of technology and communications. You know, once you set off from shore, it used to be the only communication you had was radio, you know, maybe a telex, basically a text, you know, you would get to the ship and that's it. Today, it's instantaneous. Today, you're in almost constant contact. You can track vessels through AIS and you can monitor and really increase the efficiency of ships and that's one of the things we've been seeing in the shipping industry quite a bit is as ships get larger the crews get smaller but that shore side element becomes much more important you know it's an orchestration when you bring a ship in a container ship with ten thousand containers and you have to offload them That is a symphony of movement that has to be done. It's not just putting boxes in an empty slot. Everything has to be configured for port of embarkation. There are are load compatibility issues. There's weight issues. And, you know, when you're throwing your lines on and you're tying up at a port, those cranes are coming across, you're on popping containers you're ready for them to come off and you don't make money when you're in port you make money when you're at sea you want you want to be moving you always want to be moving the worst thing you want to be doing is sitting off a port or tied to a berth waiting you want to keep that ship moving and so you have those two different areas and one of the things that's really interesting to me is how much those two areas don't overlap very few people go from the ship to shore or from the shore to ship they they operate as almost two Separate worlds, and it's very few times you'll see you know senior masters or engineers take that job ashore. They also don't transition very well. I'd argue they, you know, working on a ship tends to be very fast, very quick, and a little bit more coarse. You know, you, you tend to bark orders a lot more. That doesn't always work in an office environment.
0: That's a great point. I also think like when you read culture decks to shipping companies et cetera, and they say. How they behave. Sometimes, at least I work for the cruise line industry. Like sometimes to get that culture from a slide deck on board isn't necessarily that easy because sometimes a ship operates like a, a planet on their own, right? With strong hierarchies. And also like sometimes people, sometimes some parts seems better written on paper, but in practice it's hard to get out, right? So have you also seen like that is also an interesting part of you know, running a shipping company? Because it's like you said, it's not so much overlapping in terms of the different jobs to be done.
1: Right. I, I mean, you know, a cruise company is, is a perfect example of that because not only that, you have separate areas on the cruise ship. So it's very siloed in the different areas. So you have the engine plan, you have the the, the bridge crew, you have the hotel services. And, you know, there's always there always seems to be a little bit of distrust between the two sides. It, it's, you know, hey, I have this great idea how to make your ship more efficient. It's like, well, what do you know? You know, you're not on board, you don't know the intricacies and it's the same way. And, and I think one of the big things is to build that trust between each to have that ability to show it, you know, I when I came ashore from working afloat, I had a little more credibility. I could talk about things and and I would be asked things than someone who just maybe came right out of university, out of college. And and they start coming up with these ideas like, hey, this is the way we did it. and, And this is a smart way to do it. And, you know, I think you can do it. And I think one of the things that smart shipping companies do as they start tapping into that population, that pool of of, of workers they have on ships and integrate them a little bit earlier into shore work. And I think that's a really key thing. We tend to keep it to- so totally separate. And, you know, like I said, when you bring a master on board, you know, someone who sailed for 20, 30 years, they're, they're not good at a group meeting. <laughs> they're just not. They tend to want to bark an order out. And this is this is the way it's going to go. And And, you know, a lot of time on a ship, you know, you have to give a very quick order. You know, I, I sail for a long time. And, and one of the things I've had to learn how to do is really calm down my language and not be as, as salty in, in the past. And that works great on a ship when someone's life is in danger because they stepped on a line or did something. That doesn't work in a meeting. And I, th- I think a lot of smart companies today are looking at how can I tap into that talent that's afloat, bring that practical experience ashore, but at the same time, measure it With, okay, that sounds great on a boat, but that's not going to work on shore. We need to, this is how we need to do it. And so, you know, a lot of teamwork has to be built in between them.
0: So true. You talked about that the vessels have become bigger and the crew become smaller. Do you see a timeline to autonomous shipping or is that miles ahead? Or do you see the trend where you say in 20 years, probably autonomous is possible or not going to happen?
1: Well, you know, I would argue that shipping has been going toward autonomous for a long time. I mean, again, you know, go back, 20 years, 20 years, container ships are, you know, a third the size they are today with a third more crew on board, you know, so, you know, you go to Evergiven in the Suez, she's got 25 people on board, 24, uh, 20,000 boxes on board, you know, again, 20 years ago, you got a ship that's maybe 5,000 boxes with maybe 40 people on board, 35 people on board. And the way you do that is through a lot of autonomy. You're, you're, you're digitizing your, your uplinking engine systems. You know, most ships today have uplinks on their main engines that send data to the manufacturer so that they're monitoring not just your engine on your ship, but they're monitoring every engine that's been built to that model. And so that they can provide services to the companies and sit there and say, hey, we've noticed this, we got to do this at the 3000 hour mark and come in. And, you know, especially when we see accidents, the high visibility accidents we saw, it's really interesting. We just had the report come out from Alliance that ship Accidents are down by about 50% over the past 10 years. However, they're much more high visibility than we've seen in the past because of the nature of global communications. And the question becomes is how do we minimize those accidents? How do you minimize an ever-given, an ever-forward, an express pearl? How do you do that? And I think one of the things you'll start seeing is more and more autonomy in visualization of ships. So tracking of vessels, providing Input to them, maybe even on helm control in some ways. You know, I I joke about the fact that we still drive ships the same way we drove ships 300 years ago. You know, we still have people at the wheel. It may not be a wheel, maybe a handle, but we still do that. We're very leery to hand over control to the computer, but we know it's more efficient. We know that it steers better. We know that it'll be more efficient. And a lot of that is getting that mindset, being able to switch that mindset over. I don't think we ever go completely autonomous in shipping because I think the fear is insurance. I don't think an insurance company is ever going to sign off on a ship sailing out of out of Felixstowe heading to Savannah and just, okay, hope it gets to the other side with nobody on board. But I, I, I do see the potential for it to even decrease further in some numbers.
0: One trend is obviously that the ships have become bigger. I read a story that said that, you know, bigger ships are more vulnerable to tough seas—is that a myth or is it a truth that the bigger vessel you have, the more dangerous it is, or is it just like a fake story sort of?
1: Well, I, you know, there's an issue with container ships that they get to a certain way of motion that that they're, there there's a motion specific to container ships that can cause problems. I think the issue really is a matter of time. So if you look at the big container ships, we had the story uh, two years ago now where ONE Apis lost all those containers. And that has to do more with stowage. The fact that, listen, as we put containers higher on a vessel, you need more bracing on it, but that takes time in port. Are you going to take the additional time to put lateral cross stays on it to prevent those containers from going over? Or is your priority Load them and go. And you know because the more the more securing you do to a container, the longer it takes to throw it off when you get to the next port. And we're always in that risk management position. Even if you have a case like O and APIs that loses over a thousand containers in the big scheme of things, how many containers are lost in a year versus how many containers sail? If you're talking about th- you know a couple of thousand containers lost at sea versus millions of containers moved every year, that's a fraction. Of the loss now it's terrible for the environment there's a lot you know if it's your stuff going in the water, you don't like that. but no, I, I think big ships are the, the problem with the big ships are it's not so much the sailing aspect, it's coming into port. That's the problem is a lot of infrastructure hasn't kept up with the ports. You can build a new ship. In two years. You can build the biggest, baddest, newest ship in two years. But if you're going to upgrade a port, that's a 10-year environment. You know, it's a long time. It's a lot of money. It's dredging. It's, you know, if you're the port of New York, you got to raise the Bayonne Bridge. That's not an easy thing. That's $1.7 billion. That's several years you have to invest in that. And then even if you get the port big enough, you got to have the road, the rail, the airhead, you got to have all that infrastructure. You know, containerization, we keep, I think this is one of the reasons why everyone's Bit by the ships right now because they realize it's a component in a larger system. It's not just a single thing where you're bringing cargo from one port to another port. You've got to get it out of the port. That's LA and Long Beach. We always thought I had a lot of people when LA and Long Beach were in the the prime when there was a hundred ships off LA and long beach. And I'd have that question, you know, what's wrong with the ships? Like there's nothing wrong with the ships. The ships are great. They're efficient. They're fast. The problem is the ports can't keep up. You can't clear it out of the ports into the warehouses, the distribution centers. And that's the thing we need to look at this whole transportation issue holistically. You got to look at all parts. You can't just look at one part.
0: If you liked this episode and the content we create, please make sure to check out our newsletter called The Bin Letter. More information is in the show notes. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel. This episode was produced by William Fransen.